0: Hey there, welcome to The tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Today we're going to do something a little different. Um, its I don't think I've ever really done a sort of a, I don't know, like an overall white paper-ish kind of uh, podcast where we've just talked in general about botanical style aquariums, what they are. Um, it's kind of something to get you excited. I think the purpose of doing this is not necessarily for those of you that are regular listeners here on The tent, although it might refresh some uh, some ideas in your head or whatever, but this is more for those of you that maybe are new to our little world. Maybe you want to find out more just a, new, a big picture idea about what a botanical style aquarium really is, how it works and this will be a broad stroke it 'll give you some ideas on where we 're at now, what you can do, and where we can go with this and For some of you, this might be great uh, as a introduction to make this uh, selling point to other people that maybe you're talking about and you want to share your botanical style aquarium, but you don't quite have a track to run on. So this will give you something to run with. Um, You can either share this podcast or you can just riff off of it. I don't care. I just want to get the idea out there so that those of you who are interested in finding out more will have uh, at least a a beacon, a a starting point to, uh, to get into. So let's just kind of get into this. Now, there's been a definite buzz in the aquarium world recently about what's been come to known, be known as the botanical style aquarium. And the chances are you may have seen pictures of one of these types of systems online, on Instagram, whatever. They're rich in life and they're real compelling in appearance. But what is a botanical style aquarium? Well, at its most simple level, it's a system that utilizes materials from terrestrial plants to facilitate natural processes in the aquarium, both chemical and biological leaves and seed pods which we use extensively in our aquariums contain many compounds ranging from lignin to cellulose to tannins and humic substances all of which have an impact on the aquatic environment both structurally and chemically a botanical style tank is not a style of aquascaping i want to sort of stress that at least not in the sense that one would classify an iwagumi setup or a diorama style tank or whatever now sure botanicals create a different look in your aquarium but their biggest selling point is that they facilitate a different set of functions in the aquarium. It's more of a methodology than an aesthetic. Now, using botanicals sort of compels us to embrace certain natural elements that might make us uncomfortable, such as the formation of biofilms, fungal growths, the process of decomposition, and the accumulation of detritus. This kind of stuff requires a certain mental shift. Now, we have two choices. We can resist nature's advances and attempt to circumvent or thwart her processes of decomposition, growth, and evolution. We we can scrape away unsightly biofilms. We can remove detritus and algae. We can trim our plants, whatever. Or we can embrace nature's seemingly random, relentless march. We can make a conscious decision to embrace the biofilms, the fungal growth, the decomposing leaves, and the tinted water. We start this by accepting the look and then continue from there. So it should come as no surprise that botanical-style aquariums simply look different. We fans celebrate aquariums modeled after nature. Nature in her most unedited form. Raw and unfiltered, so to speak. Filled with randomness and intricacy and even a little bit of mystery. I know this sounds a little bit dramatic, but those of us who play with this stuff have come to realize that botanical-style aquariums have different operating parameters than pretty much any type of other type of system that you'd play with. However, like any aquarium, you need to understand, appreciate, and enjoy the characteristics, the phases, and the nuances of this type of setup. It's beyond just aesthetics. The biggest mental shift required is the understanding that botanical materials break down as they impart tannins and other substances into the water. A well-manicured botanical layout will be reshaped by nature as the leaves, the seed pods, and the Botanical materials are subjected to biological degradation. Now, this is strange for us, yet it's something that our fishes are completely familiar with. They've adapted over eons to exist with and utilize these naturally occurring materials as hiding places, areas to forage, and sites to spawn as part of their daily existence. Thought about from this kind of a standpoint, you can contemplate a more basic question about our hobby What's the purpose of an aquascape in the aquarium besides just aesthetics? Well, it's to provide fishes with a comfortable environment that makes them feel at home, right? The botanical style aquarium embraces this idea thoroughly. Now, many hobbyists ask about utilizing leaves and other botanicals to lower the pH in their aquariums. It's a common question. Unfortunately, there seems to be a fair amount of misconception about what botanicals can and cannot do to the pH of your water in your aquarium. I field a lot of questions like, you know, how many leaves do I need to, to lower the pH and hardness in my beta tank? If it were only so simple... Alas, nature herself offers few plug-and-play solutions, right? Now, many botanicals do release acids that can lower the pH, but only if the water has a low enough carbonate hardness. Most botanicals won't do much to significantly reduce the pH if you start with hard alkaline water, and and the KH or carbonate hardness will act as a buffer, preventing the acids from reducing the pH. In general, it's fairly safe to state that soft water is usually acidic and that hard water is usually alkaline and it's more malleable and more workable. Note that color of water, even the stain that's caused from the tannins from leaves, is no indication of the pH or hardness. This is a misconception that we all need to dispense with once and for all. If you really want to create soft acidic water utilizing botanicals, you need to use water like reverse osmosis or deionized water, water with little to no carbonate hardness. Your botanicals will have a lot more play in terms of how they can affect the pH. Again, botanicals alone will not affect the KH. They just won't. End of discussion on that. But the the pH can be modestly affected by botanicals under those circumstances. But you need to test, you need to tweak, and you need to practice. There's no magic formula for this thing. Now, One of the things that you'll experience when you first add botanicals to an aquarium is an initial burst of tannins, which provides this visible tint to the water that everybody's so fascinated with. If you're not using activated carbon or some other aggressive chemical filtration media, that tint may be considerably more pronounced and might last longer. You might also experience some initial cloudiness. This can be dust or lignin and other compounds released from the tissues of the botanicals, even you know, maybe a bloom of bacteria and microorganisms. It usually passes quickly with minimal intervention on your part required. Now, one thing that unites us as owners of botanical-style aquariums is the appearance of this gooey, slimy, stringy stuff known as biofilm. Biofilm, yes. Even the word conjures up something that you really don't want in your tank, something dirty, nasty, and potentially detrimental. To be candid, the dictionary definition is not going to win over any haters. Biofilm is defined as a thin, slimy, and usually resistant film of bacteria that adheres to a surface. Commonly encountered examples of biofilm include the plaque that forms on our teeth and the slime that forms on the surfaces in water. But it's not all doom and gloom. Biofilm is a completely natural occurrence. Bacteria and other microorganisms simply taking advantage of a perfect substrate upon which to grow and reproduce, just like they would in the wild freshly added botanical materials offer a mother load of organic material and surface areas for these biofilms to propagate. And that's just what happens. Again, just like in nature. Now, many fishes and shrimp will feed directly on these biofilms. And the surge of biofilm growth is typically a passing phase and can take anywhere from a few days to several weeks before it subsides on its own to a more manageable level. Manageable, I mean something that doesn't look like, you know, a glob of goo ate your tank. It'll never fully go away in a botanical-style tank, but then again, you don't want it to. Just like in nature, in the natural bodies of water that we attempt to replicate, it is always there. Its benefits are manifold and should be welcomed. Understand that biofilms are present in every aquarium to to a certain degree. Furthermore, they often go hand-in-hand with the appearance of fungi. Oh, here we go. I'm really making the case, aren't I? (laughs) Not the ones that we vilify for attacking our fish or destroying the eggs or whatever, though. These are different type of fungi, aquatic hyphomycytes. It's easy to just heap them in with the bad guys and the nasty implications that they have, but fungi are intimately involved in the decay of wood and leafy material. They're primary producers in the environments that we're interested in. And of course, when you submerge terrestrial materials in water, growths of fungi tend to arise. Anyone who's ever soaked a new piece of wood for an aquarium can attest to this, right? Now, fungi colonize wood, and botanicals because they offer a lot of surface area for them to thrive and live out their life cycle. And cellulose, hemocellulose, and lignin, the major components of wood and botanical materials, are degraded by fungi which possess enzymes that can digest these materials. Fungi are regarded by biologists to be the dominant organisms associated with decaying leaves and streams. Pretty cool. Fishes and invertebrates that live amongst and feed directly upon the fungi and decomposing leaves and botanicals contribute to the breakdown of these materials as well. So aquatic fungi can break down the leaf matrix and make the energy locked up inside available to feeding animals in all these sort of habitats. That's really interesting stuff. While not attractive looking, fungi are incredibly useful and they play well with a surprisingly large number of aquatic life forms to create what are known as food webs. Natural habitats are absolutely filled with this stuff. Now, Typically, botanicals will begin to soften and break down over several weeks or months after you prepare them for use. We usually do this by boiling or soaking. As an aquarist, you have an option to leave them in as they do so or remove them, whatever your aesthetic sensibilities tell you to do. Personally, I leave them in. In fact, many of us leave our botanicals in our tanks until they've completely decomposed, utilizing them as almost a sort of botanical mulch, which serves as a supplemental food source, especially for fry. So what are the implications for managing this type of system? Well, remember, you're dealing with a tank full of decomposing botanical materials. It simply takes good overall husbandry to keep your tank stable and healthy, and that includes regular water exchanges. Now, during water exchanges, I may siphon out some debris that's moved where I don't want it, but for the most part, I'm merely siphoning water from down low in the water column. I'm leaving everything in play because the detritus that it produces, yes, the detritus, is extremely important. Now, Remember, you're facilitating an operating system, so to speak. It's a nature's operating system. And among those decomposing leaves and all that stuff are mini microorganisms microorganisms, that are beneficial in nature, breaking down nitrogenous waste, contributing to the overall biodiversity of the system, and serving as supplemental food sources for your fishes, including your fish fry. Now, it's not all set and forget, of course. Regular water testing is particularly important, not just for the information that you'll gain about your aquarium and its trends, but it's important because as proponents of this newer botanical style aquarium, we need to log and share information about our systems so that we can sort of develop a, a model for best practices, you know, what to do. How to make things work, baseline performance, and perhaps look at, you know, to develop standards and techniques. It's all kind of a new thing, really. I mean, people have been playing with seed pods and leaves for years, but really studying it on a more, I don't know, scientific level is a newer thing. We're seeing more and more common trends and issues and ways to manage them, which is a necessary evolution and one that we can all attribute to, which is really cool. Now, I think any testing regimen should include things like pH, TDS, and alkalinity, and if you're so inclined, nitrate and phosphate. I don't obsess over these things, but if you want to test stuff, it's interesting. Logging this information over time will give us all good data upon which to develop our expectations and future best practices for water management. Now, in the end, living with your botanical-style aquarium isn't just about a new aesthetic approach. It's about understanding and processing what's happening in this little aquatic ecosystem you created. It's about asking questions, modifying techniques, and playing hunches. These things that we as hobbyists have practiced for many generations are not that new. When you distill it all, we're still just keeping an aquarium, just one that I feel is far more dynamic and potentially game-changing in methodology-wise for the aquarium, one that we don't need to be afraid of. And I think the important thing is to understand that this ecosystem idea, this system is is an entire little ecosystem in a glass box. And you're managing sort of like you would a garden, I guess, this little ecology. And the aquarium itself is actually the filter. It's actually the producer of food. It's actually the uh, environment for our fishes. It does so many things. And when, when you see these new things like detritus and so forth, stay the course. Don't be afraid. Open your mind. Study what's happening And always try to draw parallels to the natural aquatic ecosystems of the world. You'll take great comfort in that when you see underwater videos of the Amazon, for example, and see decomposing leaf material and stuff and see what it actually looks like. And just know that that pile of decomposing goo that you're looking at now is just a metaphorical stepping stone on the journey to an aquarium which embraces nature in every conceivable way. And of course, the literal basis for all this stuff is the botanical materials themselves, breaking down in our tanks, just like they've done in nature for millions of years. Now, I hope that as the years go by, we as a hobby will sort of overcome generations of fear over stuff like detritus and fungi and biofilms. Maybe rather than attempting to erase these things, which go against our you know, Instagram-influenced aesthetics of how we think nature should look, we might wanna meet nature where she is and work with her. If we're lucky, we just might see the real beauty and the benefits of nature in her most compelling and unedited form. I'm Scott Fellman from Tenon Aquatics. I hope I've at least stimulated some interest in this unique and exciting area of the aquarium hobby. I hope it gets you, you know, compelled to maybe do a little more research, uh, talk to some other people, and heck, set up an aquarium of your own if you want. I would love to see that and love to see and hear from you and hear how your journey goes. Stay excited, stay motivated, stay inspired, stay diligent stay resourceful, and always stay wet. Thanks again for joining us. I look forward to seeing you on another installment of The Tint.